Welcome to the house of the Lord. Thank goodness it's Sabbath, TGIS. It is wonderful to be here to worship with all my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let's begin by reading from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus had some strong words of condemnation for the Pharisees during the last week of his physical life. We will take a look at some of those words today. Jesus also had some words for his disciples where he meant to cultivate in them an attitude change. Peter had told Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That went against everything Peter believed. But to continue in his relationship with Jesus, Peter had to let Jesus serve him. Why? Because the kingdom that Jesus would rule is an upside-down kingdom. The last would be first, and the first would be last. Leaders would be servants. Jesus said that even him, he himself did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The entire community of Jesus, his church, would be built not on power or authority, not on merit, on any merit system, not on a chain of command. Rather, his church would be built on service and sacrifice. And so Jesus said, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 14. The upside-down kingdom doesn't have a chain of command. What does it have? It has a chain of service. Amen to that. scarlet they shall be 
as white as snow Though they be red as crimson They shall be as one Let us reason together That's what God says Let us reason together, says Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as us reason together that's what God says come let us reason together says the Lord and let us vow for our opening prayer God of grace and glory how wonderful it is to sing praises to you this Sabbath afternoon. We ask that you forgive our sins and that you guide us away from sin. Almighty God, we ask that you touch us with your holiness, that we might become more like you. And we ask that through your guidance and grace, we will learn to live in love one to another without pride or anger. We recognize the small miracles that you provide in our lives. We recognize that you empower us to step out in faith toward the directions in which you would have us go. Those directions that you call us. Help us to expect great things from you. We praise your name. We echo the celebration of your heavenly host. We love you, Father. And we ask that you strengthen us to serve you as we remember the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, last week we laid bare an end-time false doctrine called the rapture. We looked at the scriptures touted by many popular religious leaders of our day, and we clearly saw that the rapture doctrine is not found in scripture and we saw that there is no written record anywhere in Scripture of a seven-year tribulation period. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be tribulation. But the seven-year tribulation period is a made-up doctrine, not found in Scripture. Where do these non-biblical doctrines come from? Let's go to the source and look at the passage in the book of Daniel that is the starting point from where all this prophetic false doctrine begins. 
And that would be Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Let us read together. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured on him. Thank God for his word. The book of Daniel was written while the Jews were slaves in Babylon, in exile, after the Babylonian Empire conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, also known as the southern kingdom of Israel. This passage, Daniel 9, chapter... Chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, contains a prophecy from the angel Gabriel to the Jewish people with the promise that they would be given a second chance to return to Jerusalem, encouraging them that they would rebuild their temple and ultimately they would receive the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. This is a prophecy that describes a 70-week period of time, 70 sevens, 70, then the word sevens, plural. Now, almost all Bible scholars recognize that a day in prophecy can represent a year. And since 70 weeks equals 490 days, 70 weeks therefore represents 490 years. This prophecy contains a direct command command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem in verse 25 after the Babylonian captivity. And it reaches down to the arrival of the Messiah. After 69 weeks, the seven weeks plus the 62, I know that's rather poetic, but the seven weeks plus 62 weeks is 69 weeks, After 69 weeks, which represents 483 years, verse 6 says that the anointed one, the Messiah, will be put to death. There is no controversy up to and including this verse. Virtually all Bible scholars, past and present, apply verse 26 to the crucifixion of Jesus. And after the Messiah's agonizing death, 
we read that the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Also found in verse 26. Who are the people of the ruler who will come and destroy the city? Well, it is a historic event that Jerusalem was destroyed along with its rebuilt temple by Roman armies, by the Roman armies under Prince Titus in 70 AD. 69 weeks are accounted for. One week is left. And this is where the popular religious teachers of today have left the truth behind. Listen to verse 27 again. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is the famous 70th week of Daniel. And based upon the one day equals one year principle, this one week period refers to a period of seven years. Rapture promoters take this verse and this verse alone and make some incredible, mind-blowing claims. They claim, based upon verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9, that he, in verse 27, is the satanic antichrist who will make a covenant, meaning a peace treaty, with the Jews at the beginning of a seven-year great tribulation period. In the middle of the seven years, he, the Antichrist, will break his covenant, turn against Israel, and put an end to their animal sacrifices. And finally, the phrase, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, is claimed as irrefutable proof that a third Jewish temple must be rebuilt on the Temple Mount inside Jerusalem. Today, the Dome of the Rock Mosque, built about 690 A.D., sits there. Rapture proponents teach that this mosque will be knocked down to make room for a third temple to be built. These claims are an amazing stretch of Scripture. They say the prophetic clock stopped after the first 69 weeks of Daniel and that the 70th week of Daniel has slid more than 2,000 years into the future, into the end times. We are told that the 70th week is called the Great Tribulation, and it applies to the Jewish people after the church is raptured out of the picture to watch what happens from up above. Now think about it. Does Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, say anything about a seven-year tribulation? No. Does Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, say anything about an antichrist? No. Does Daniel 9, verse 27, say anything about a rebuilt Jewish temple? No, again. These claims are a storyline made for movies. And now billions of dollars have been made making movies and writing fiction novels about these end-time false doctrines. Okay, you probably would like to hear some good news 
after what I've just said about modern end-time false prophecy. I have some good news for you. The historical Christian interpretation of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, is very different. The historical Christian view is that the he in verse 27 does not refer to a satanic bad guy. Rather, the he in verse 27 refers to Jesus. The historical Christian belief, which was centuries upon centuries old, is that during the final week, the 70th week of Daniel, Jesus himself confirmed the new covenant with mankind. Logic says that 70 weeks refers to a block of time. The 70th week follows the 69th week. Otherwise, it cannot properly be called the 70th week. It is illogical to insert a 2,000 plus year gap into the, the prophecy. It's illogical to believe that prophecy ended for 2,000 plus years waiting for a world ruler nicknamed the Antichrist to appear. There is no hint of a gap in the wording of Daniel 9 verse 27. So we should not insert one. The focus of this prophecy is on the Messiah, not on a made-up Antichrist guy. Gabriel said he will confirm a covenant. Paul said the covenant. Paul said that the covenant was confirmed before God in Christ. Galatians 3.17. Paul is saying that Jesus came to confirm the promises made to God's people in the Old Testament. It's interesting that the translators of the King James Version and other versions of, in their translations of Daniel 9.20 say, 9.27 say, the covenant, not a covenant. Further proof telling us that the historic, historical Christian understanding of this verse is that this is a prophecy about Jesus. Nowhere in Scripture is there a being called the Antichrist who makes or confirms or breaks a covenant with anyone. The word covenant always implies, always applies to the Messiah, not to an Antichrist. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. The words of Jesus echo perfectly the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. In the middle of the seven-year period, this 70th week of Daniel, after three and a half years of holy ministry, Jesus died on the cross. At the moment of his death, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The sacrifice by Jesus, the Messiah, signified that all animal sacrifices were to cease. They no longer had any value. Why? Because the perfect sacrifice had now been offered. Just days before his death, Jesus lamented the Jewish people's rejection of the covenant that he came to fulfill. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, 23, verses 37 through 39, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks from under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to the desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the words from Jesus himself echoed the words of the prophet Daniel. Gabriel said that the 70-week prophecy specifically applied to the Jewish people. Daniel 9.24. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that was Daniel 9.24. During the three and a half years of his public ministry, the focus of Jesus was on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. After his crucifixion and resurrection, and for the next three and a half years, his disciples went mostly to the Jews until 34 A.D., Then bold Stephen was stoned by this Sanhedrin. You can read the story in Acts chapter 7. This infamous deed marked the Jewish leadership's final official rejection of the gospel of our Lord, Messiah Jesus. Soon Saul became Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. God gave a vision to Peter, revealing it was time to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And approximately three and a half years after the crucifixion, at the end of the 70-week period given to the Jewish people, the gospel shifted to the Gentiles, exactly as predicted in Bible prophecy, exactly as understood by the Christian church for centuries. The evidence is overwhelming. Point by point, the events of Daniel's 70th week have been perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, and in early Christian history. The 70 weeks of Daniel certainly ended centuries ago. Only Jesus can claim to be the subject of these prophecies, not an antichrist. You would think that the Jews, among whom the events of this prophecy, that this prophecy occurred, you would think they could not possibly have misapplied this prophecy. But they did. They failed to see the rabbi Jesus as the predicted one who would die in the middle of the 70th week. And amazingly, something similar is happening today. Sincere Christians are now also misapplying the very same prophecy. The entire rapture slash seven-year tribulation theory, theory is a false doctrine. It's a deception now on a worldwide scale. It is one of the greatest Christian blunders of all time, in my opinion. The Bible accurately predicted the sacrifice of our Savior. Nowhere does Scripture teach a seven-year great tribulation. So let's take a look at the prophecy from an approach that you may find interesting. Gabriel told Daniel when the 70-week prophecy would begin. Verse 25, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Again, 
That's 69 weeks. The Bible, when did this happen? The Bible tells us in Ezra chapter 7 that King Artaxerxes, in the seventh year as king in Persia, issued a decree giving Ezra authority to set magistrates and judges over Jerusalem. In other words, the king of Persia granted Jerusalem to have autonomous governing power. Civil authority was restored to Jerusalem and the, Jeru and the Jewish state in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Now this is historical fact. The seventh year of King Artaxerxes was 457 B.C. So now go forward 69 weeks, which represents 483 years. 457 B.C., forward 483 years, takes us to A.D. 27, the time of the Anointed One, the ruler, the He of Daniel 9, verse 27. In A.D. 27, at the exact time specified in Daniel's prophecy, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, marking the beginning of his public ministry. And soon after his baptism, Jesus declared, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This time that Jesus declared fulfilled could very well be the time prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. At a minimum, Jesus knew that he was fulfilling the ancient prophecy. Here's another interesting observation. When Jesus was still in Capernaum, only a short time before he embarked on his last journey to Jerusalem, Peter asked him an insightful question. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That response from Jesus certainly was interesting. Jesus was obviously not saying forgiveness toward offenders should have a limit. Hmm. 70 times seven. What does that equal? 490. Could it be that Jesus was making a subtle reference to the 70-week prophecy of Daniel chapter 9? Perhaps. God's forgiveness toward the nation of Judah was extended to 70 sevens, or 70 times 7. Near the close of this 490-year time span, someone greater than the prophets would come and the Jewish nation's destiny would be determined by its response to this person, the anointed one, God's son. When Jesus spoke to Peter about forgiveness, he knew the 70-week prophecy was soon to end. He also knew its awful significance to the Jewish nation and to Jerusalem and to its second temple. Chapters 21 through 23 of Matthew tell us of the sad, final, and intense encounters between Jesus and the leaders of the Jewish nation. 
Jesus arrived in Jerusalem riding a colt. He threw out the money changers and those doing business in the temple. He returned to Bethany for lodging. The next morning, as he returned to the city, he saw a fig tree by the road. He came to it and saw nothing on it but leaves. And he said to the tree, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. I've mentioned this before. This was an object lesson from Jesus to his disciples. The fig tree was the symbol of the faithless Jewish nation, a nation of Jewish folk who focused on religion and ritual and upon themselves. The 70 times 7 countdown was almost complete. Upon arriving in Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple where he was confronted by the religious leaders and the Pharisees. They had a plan to expose him as a false messiah and have him put to death. Jesus then told those leaders a parable that outlined the entire history of Israel in one grand panoramic sweep, culminating with the murderous designs in the minds of those to whom he was talking. Matthew chapter 21 Verses 33 through 39. Let us read together. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And listen now to what Jesus next asked those leaders. Verses 40 through 42. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. As Jesus said this, I imagine he looked squarely into the eyes of those haters and he declared that they had pronounced their own doom. He said to them, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Verse 43. This is powerful, straightforward. 
Jesus told those hating Pharisees directly that the kingdom of God would be taken away from unbelieving Israel in the flesh and given to another nation. Why? Because of their horrific sin of rejecting and killing the Son of God. In the very next parable, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, Jesus outlined the same historical sequence, but this time he added additional details of the destruction of Jerusalem and the call to the Gentiles. The timeline outlined in Daniel chapter 9 was coming to an end. Jesus knew that the historical prophecy of 77s represented the limits of national forgiveness for the Jewish nation. And he knew that the timeline was reaching its end point. The end point arrived when Stephen was stoned by the Sanhedrin in AD 34. That moment was filled with awful significance. Stephen gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he declared, look, he cried out, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you think Jesus had a reason to be standing? A seismic shift was occurring. A new day was dawning. The 77's prophecy had ended and the gospel message now belonged to whosoever will believe. Just as Jesus described in his parables, God's chosen people were now those who would accept the invitation of Jesus to enter into his new covenant. Jews and Gentiles were now brothers in the same family of God. You often hear me refer, refer to it as the nation of Jesus. They became brothers and sisters, not by ethnicity or by assimilation into Jewish culture. Rather, they joined the nation of Jesus by spiritual Rebirth, as prophecy described perfectly in the Old Testament. And this is our starting, our stopping point today. Perhaps next Sabbath we can look at Israel in light of the new nation of Jesus, a family of believers that God ushered in at the conclusion of the 70 weeks of Daniel. My hope is that this study will be an encouragement to everyone who hears it and strengthen you in your faith. Amen. Hallelujah.